information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Verisage Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. And on today's show, folks, we're going to talk about how to be a price searcher and not a price taker. Hey, Ed, how's it going? Oh, it's great, Ron. My New York Mets made it advanced to the National League Championship Series against the Cubs. Um, you know, I, nothing can go be wrong for me today. You're in heaven. That's awesome. I am. I am. It's great. I did see that. That's really cool. Congrats. So thanks. Yeah. No. It's you know it, we we know how we talk about George Gilder and creativity always comes as a surprise to us, right? Right. Right. Yeah, otherwise, socialism would work well. We being a new New York Met fan, I know this intimately well. The Met the Mets succeeding always comes as a surprise to us. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the beauty of sports, right? I mean, if you knew it was going to happen, it would be the point of watching. Right, which is which is which is which is why it's pointless in a lot of ways to be a Yankee fan because uh, <laughs> I've always said it takes no skill to be a Yankee fan. Okay, There's now no we'll skill. never get Joe Pine back on the air. Right? I know, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, this is a topic that uh, I, I've been dying to do because th- this comes up all the time. How many times do we hear, Ed, that, oh, I'm in a competitive business or worse, I'm in a commoditized business and what I sell is a commodity and the competition is so stiff. And we even hear things like there's too much capacity in our yeah. industry. Yeah. And then if you've gotten somebody who's taken an economics course, you'll hear, well, we're in a perfectly competitive market, meaning we are all price takers. We have right. zero control over the prices that we can set. The market dictates that there's nothing we can do. And just like we said on the commoditization show that we did, we don't buy it. No. No. I mean, it's, it's as as Colonel Potter would have said, horse hockey. <laughs> <laughs> and and the empirical evidence is against it. So I, I wanted to remind you of something, and maybe you forgot this because you know we we get written up and interviewed so much, it's hard to keep track of all this. But right. we were both interviewed for an accounting web article. I don't know. This must have been in 2014, and we're talking about value pricing, and it's it's a diffusion within the accounting and industry and the pro- other professions as well. And we were talking about what it means and and how firms that have done it have actually implemented it and all of this. And uh, it generated, you know, some robust comments. And one of the comments was by a pretty respected author that uh, I I shall not name, but uh, he came in. He said, well, the big problem with Baker and Ed's, uh, you know, Baker and Kluss's 
whole approach is it, it, it ignores competition. You know, prices aren't set by value. They're, they're set by competition and they're set Nine. by the marginal cost. And my, my response to him, Ed, which <clears throat> I'll note that he didn't reply to, <laughs> was basically, look, if you don't think prices are set by ultimately by value, right. then explain to me the restaurant industry where it's intensely competitive and yet I can spend five bucks on a meal and I can spend 500 on a meal or more. Mm -hmm. Explain mm -hmm. it to me. And he couldn't, <laughs> obviously. Well, <laughs> yeah. No, he, or he chose not to. And you know, it, it would re require him understanding also the concept of anti-fragile too, which, is, it, it, which I know we've talked about, and that's a whole other show that we need to do someday on anti-fragile. But uh, yeah, no, it's a, that's a great example, Ron, because it, you can. You can run the gamut from McDonald's to Ruth's Chris, right? Okay. Uh, and, and yet you don't walk into a McDonald's and go, wow, this really looks like a Ruth's Chris. I'm kind of surprised at the way this looks, right? Because right. They, they've already they, they've done what we're going to talk about today. They have they have done some customer segmentation and they've they've understood their 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 market and who they're going for. And then even then within that marketplace, then they do some of the techniques that you and I are going to talk about today, where they, they break it down even further, right? To you, you, the you know the Happy Meal customer versus the the person who just wants an a la carte, you know dollar french fries or whatever. Right. And, and Ed, let's just say up front that, uh, you know, pricing is guided by a company strategy, right? <clears throat> Which ultimately is guided by their purpose or their why, if you've read or listened to Simon Sinek's TED Talk. Um, but, you know, so we're, we're, we're kind of taking your strategy for a given. So if you're trying to be Southwest Airlines, you're going to have different pricing strategy than, say, uh, Singapore Airlines or, or something like that. So it, it, this is driven by your strategy. So strategy needs to be in place first, and your pricing needs to be consistent with that strategy. I just want to make that clear. No, it's a it's a critical point, Ron. I mean, this this always goes goes back to the 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 concept of look left on the the seven S curve, which is another show we've got to do. Man, I'm right, coming up right, with all yeah. these shows that we need to do someday. <laughs> well, but, I, I got to see you do that Niagara recently with Tom Hood, and that was very yeah. Niagara Falls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but my point being is as as you said, it's 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 shared vision, then strategy. And then once you have those two things in alignment, then then pricing, and I think that's important. And we're what we're going to talk about today is as is said in the literary industry, in medias race, right? We're, right. We're we're dropping you down in the middle of, of a, a long litany of thinking here. Uh, so please don't think that this is where you start. If you're especially if you're a, a new business just starting out, that you start with pricing. So right. that, that's the caveat for the rest of the show. Right, and, and and I guess the second caveat too is just that pricing, folks, is is um, it's complex. I mean, it, you know, there's three types of uh, I, I I like this three types of problems you can have. Ed, I think Malcolm Gladwell did this, but others have talked about it too. You can have simple ish, simple uh, problems, which kind of like baking a cake, right? You can follow a recipe, and that's that's pretty simple. But then there's complicated issues like you know sending a man to the moon. There's going to be uncertainty. There's going to be things that you encountered that you didn't plan on. But then there's complex problems, and that's kind of like raising a child is is the best metaphor because there's no you know there's no instruction book, right? And pricing is is you know it's between that complicated and complex, but certainly more on the complex side. There's so many things that you have to consider 
from the customer standpoint, and I think a lot of mistakes that a lot of companies make is they just simply set their price by looking inward, mm-hmm. whether it's costs or, or desired profit margins or even looking at what their competitors are charging. And that's a mistake. You have to look at it from your customer's perspective and realize that your competition doesn't care about your customers. <laughs> and, right. uh, you know, they, they, they'd like to take your best customers, obviously, but, they, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. they, they have no interest in your customers. So you have to look at this from the customer's perspective. Yeah, again, a critical point there to 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 understand that that flow. Uh, you know, I I I think people people get a, get sidewinded on on that an awful lot. Uh, you know, they they they, they it's it, and so it's it it has to be it has to be part of the overall plan. So yeah, but let's let let's jump in, Ron. Let's talk a little bit about this. So what 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 what's the first thing you want to talk about? We the, the name of the show is be a price searcher not a price taker. So why don't you just first explain that idea? Yeah, this idea that, you know, the price is set by the market and you have zero control over it. Never bought that. You can be a price searcher, meaning you can you can offer options or different versions to customers and you, you can search an acceptable range. And this comes down, uh, this was work done by a, a Dutch economist by the name of Peter Van Westendorp. And he came up with something called the price sensitivity meter. And you can Google this, and there's a Wikipedia page on it, I think. And there's lots of math behind this. But it's a series of questions, Ed, that I just absolutely love. And one of them is, uh, the first one is, at what price would the service be so expensive the customer would not consider buying it? We all know intellectually, you know, that's the big fear, in fact, right? That we can put a price on something that's so expensive nobody hires us or nobody buys what we're trying to sell. Mm-hmm. So obviously that price exists. His second question is, at what price would the service be expensive, but the customer would still buy it? Now, anybody out there that's got an apple <laughs> in front of them uh, has, has you know looked at something and said, wow, that's really expensive, but they've still bought it, mm-hmm. right? So we know that price exists. We know people are value conscious. They're not price conscious. His third question is, at what price would the service be perceived as inexpensive, but the customer would still buy it. In other words, wow, what a great deal. Quick, snatch it up before it's gone or before they change their mind, right? So we know mm-hmm. that price exists. And his last question, of course, is at what price does the service become so inexpensive the customer would begin to question its value and not buy it? Now, what I find interesting about that, if you buy into this logic, the, the logic takes you down a road that says it's it's not just one price that customers have in their heads. It's a range of acceptable and unacceptable prices. And we need to search that range. How do you search that range? Well, you offer options, you offer different versions. And that's what we mean by being a price searcher or a price taker. And, and yes, and I can't emphasize this point enough is that I, I think that this is the thing that businesses completely miss. And this is why I argue, even with pricers who we've had on the show who have way more distinguished creds than I do, that I believe pricing is way more art than it is science. Uh, every every I don't know if you remember this one, but every pricer that we've asked that question to has always has always come down on well, it's a combination of both. Both, yes. <laughs> right? Bob Cross said it. Reed Holden said it. Reed Holden it. said yeah. it right, and they, and and they'll get they'll give you fifty fifty. I completely disagree with them, and it's mostly based on understanding Westendorp Van Westendorp, which I, ironically, of course, Van Westendorp would tell me I'm full of crap because he's got like this all this incredibly complex math behind it, right. but. 
is isn't what, what, what as I recall his model what he's doing he's actually asking that question in in a huge marketplace for about something right so yes. he's saying he's saying at what so he he's trying to find out from customers at what price would they think this is too expensive and then he does all of this math to say okay and then this means this is where your optimal price is so he's still leading you down this path of okay we can get you to an optimal price and I Correct. think what 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 I've always loved about this is we've turned this a little bit on its, I wouldn't say its head, but on its side and said, okay, no, these are the questions you need to ask yourself about what price do you think that this customer would be would, would think is too expensive and not buy it, right? Right. No, exactly correct. I mean, if you, the traditional pricers like around PPS, we actually, when I was in uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil uh, last month, I, I had this conversation with a couple of really really smart, high-credentialed pricers. And we were talking about this, and, and I said, well, look, I know there's flaws in the Van Western Dort model, and I know pricers don't like it for a host of reasons, because you're asking people, right, what they pay, what they find acceptable. And yeah, not, that, not to actually have them spend money, right? Yeah, exactly. That's always, a, that's always a problem, right? When you ask people, what would they do rather than watching what they do? So the whole revealed preference. But what I like about this, what, what, what the epiphany for me was when I first ran across this is this means the demand curve is thicker than we think, right? Now, I know that's a technical you know, idea. Yeah, you, just, but you just made people's eyeballs spin around. I know, I know. But, but that means that the, but there is an acceptable range of prices. And just a real simple example is a Coke, right? Yeah. I know I could spend anywhere between a quarter and, and three bucks for a Coke depending on where I bought it. But you know, I'm okay with that because it's in my range of an acceptability. Now, if it's six fifty in a mini bar, that I might not do that. I might take the time to, you know, walk out of the hotel and go buy one somewhere else. But, you know, there is that acceptability. And, you know, lobster can be priced too cheap uh, like it was a year or so ago in New England when they had the glut and restaurants started to drop the price. So their, their revenue from lobster went down right. uh, totally in defiance of the law of demand. So we do walk around with this acceptable range. And that means the pricers in an organization have to search that range. And they do that through all the different strategies that we're going to talk about. Uh, as soon as we need to take this break, Ed, and we'd like to remind you folks that you can email Ed or myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. Please check out our website, thesoulofenterprise.com, where you'll get full show notes. And Ed, I think we're all caught up now, aren't we? We um, are. Well, I'm caught up. You're, you're, you're fine. I'm the one who always gets behind. Yeah, I think you might have the hard part of that. But uh, and, and folks, now we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? 
I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the foreword changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its foreword. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the foreword and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. We're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we do monitor hashtag AskTSOE during the show. So if you have a question for us, please go out and hashtag AskTSOE. In fact, we're going to get to some questions that we did get this week, Ron, from some folks later on in, in the show. Some uh, really good questions that I think it, 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 you and I both had that we actually didn't have to prep. Because some, some of the times we just are, are so familiar with this topic that it's all off the cuff. But we got some really really tight questions this past week so thank you and keep those coming also we'd love for you to review the show on uh, amazon.com or the book on amazon.com and then go to itunes and uh like the show out there and also review they are gold to us so so we ask you to please do that so ron we're talking about you know this the van westendorf and i i just have to share a couple things you know i'm a transplanted new yorker and you know one of the things that i i would would suggest that 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 is on that last question is too cheap and not buy it. If you ever see all you can eat sushi in Texas for five dollars, <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying, yeah, I'm just saying that you may you may back away from that one because it's probably like raw catfish. So that would be the only, the only thing that I could think of that people would would do raw all all you can eat sushi in Texas for five dollars you, know, you know you were talking before we and I'll, we'll put this in the show notes if I can find it on the web remember that the IBM had a great commercial regarding this uh, a yes. couple of years ago it was a guy it was a guy sitting in a hotel room right yes. and contemplating buying the eight dollar cashews cashews <laughs> yep <laughs> yep. Just, <laughs> and he just like you, ha- you ha- and, and the whole commercial, the whole setup of the commercial is perfect, and it's exactly what we're talking about. Is you you have to find the exact right customer at the exact same at, at the exact right time, right at the right price. And in fact, Ed, what was so interesting about that commercial is it ran during like football games, and and I think I saw it on PGA tournaments, and you know. Nobody probably knew, even though it was an IBM ad, nobody probably knew except the, those of us in pricing what it was advertising because it didn't say anything about the product or even services they offer, but it was for their, for their revenue management software. Yep, yep, yep. So that, that was just great. Now, I would like to add a question, and I added this in my book, uh, Implementing Value Pricing to the Van Westendorp, but it's really an important question, and that is, what costs can we afford to invest in? at the target price and still earn an acceptable profit. Okay, say that that one again slowly, yeah. Okay, at what, uh, I'm sorry, what costs can we afford to invest in at the target price and still earn an acceptable profit? 
Love it. So even that's a, even if it's a range of target prices because you've got different versions or different segments or whatever, you still what this basically means is we have to know our costs ahead of time. And as a repentant former cost accountant, uh, this is the big problem with the cost accountants world is they they can tell you what the costs were, but a good pricer has to know costs in the future, and this is one of the issues we have to know the value the price and the cost before we make the product or before we sell the product or if you're in a service business before you provide the services which means that timesheets and all the traditional cost accounting tools that we use don't really help us set a good price not to mention that they're silent with respect to value so that is just a, a a tweak to the to the van westendorp model that that i've added to those questions Yes, and and just quick quick uh, shoulder roll, if you will, for next week's show. We're going to deal with the death of cost accounting next week on the show. So I'm sure this it's a good tie-in. So those of, those of you who are interested in that topic, come back next week because we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna skewer cost accounting. <laughs> yeah, as only a former cost accountant can, I think maybe I, I don't know, but we'll, we'll give it our best shot because it's still, boy, it's still got a lot of dominance out there. Um, you know, and, and I don't believe it should, at least not when it comes to the pricing. Um, anyway, but Ed, let's talk about, you know, on one of our shows, on Price Sensitivity Show, we did, we talked about the, I think there were 10 factors of, mm-hmm. of, of analyzing a customer, a particular customer's price sensitivity. And now let's talk about segmentation strategies. Because, folks, Ed and I work in professional firms, and I know a lot of our listeners do as well, but there's but we also know there's a, a good group of our listeners that run just generic businesses that might sell a product, might sell mm-hmm. a product through a channel even. Um, in, in professional firms- Like have, Sage. <laughs> like Sage, yes, exactly. <laughs> professional firms have a huge advantage though, don't they, Ed? Because they get to meet with the custo- every customer one at a time. And in effect, you can price one customer at a time. You can price the customer, not the services, based upon their own- value proposition and and their own assessments of value and you can't do that if you're selling you know ipads by the millions or or maybe even software by the how many ever you guys sell right no right no this and this is a really interesting point ron because the most of the work that i've done in my career here at sage has been working with our mid-market partners and 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 what's exciting to me is i kind of sit at the intersection of that Right. Because say Sage, we have we have to come up with a price that is a list price for the software. I mean, I guess we don't have to. I guess we could do, do something different. But but traditionally uh, in the marketplace, we've come out with a list price of the software or as we move to subscription, a published price for that subscription. Right. Mm-hmm. Of, of course, what our partners then do, and in a lot of ca- a lot of most cases, expertly so, is they then price the implementation piece of it, right? Right, right. And that's where they ha- are having the one-on-one conversation about value, and it, it, it's it's really kind of cool. And and in fact, now this is I'm, I'm telling the tale out of school here, but way back when, when I actually did that for a living, you know, before I started working for Sage, but and I'll give you a great story that illustrates this to to the T. Is I can distinctly remember one deal where we had we had done a value you know value price or or a, a fixed price as we would describe it to the customer. And it was nearing the end of the the year for the software company that I represented, which was not Sage at the time. And 
you know, we, we, we constructed these expert, uh, you know, three levels and did the whole thing, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes. And, you know, they, they, they picked this number and we just gave them one number, which included both the implementation and the software, right? So that we mm-hmm. didn't break it out. We didn't have line by line analysis of everything in there. It was just this, the, here's, here's your number, right? And so they, they, accept, they accepted the, I forget which option they picked. It really doesn't matter. But then I went back to to my my representative from the software company and said, well, and they said they, they said to me, well, did did you know did you give them the the the, the discount that they were offering because it was the, near the year end? And I'm like, well, no. It's no. <laughs> like, well, why did Because I didn't need to. And it, what was re- really odd is that, of course, I made then way more money on the software, and then subsequently. It was real. It was it was it was crazy because I remember the first time we did this, we we're like, well, we actually have to issue these guys a license, uh, an invoice for the software because it's right. the only way to legally transfer the license, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I I called the customer up and I'm like, well, what do you want on the what do you want on the invoice for the software? What do you what do you want me to because they had already agreed to you know some number. Let's call it fifty grand, right? They had agreed to fifty grand. They're like, okay, well. I, they said, and what they had wanted is they they wanted full bust out list price, sure. right? So they That's could what expense they it on the So they could, yeah, because they wanted yeah. to be able to, to to take advantage of the full full expense of it. And my, the the rep from the software company was like, "What? What? <laughs> you you sold us at full bu- bu- full list price at the end of the year? Yes, we did." <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, let's, so, so let's talk about these customer segmentation strategies. Now, this is in the situation where this, like, like Sage was, where you can't have the one-on-one conversation with everybody, and there are seven of them, right, Ron? Right, and and yeah, it's for when you can't have the one-on-one because we are big believers, folks. If you can, at, at, at very low marginal cost, price the customer, not the services, mm-hmm. um, but. In lieu of that, you can use these seven uh, customer segmentation strategies to to basically segment your customers and either offer them different options or offer them different prices. And the first one, Ed, is buyer identification. So this is specific buyer identification. So seniors get a discount, right? Children get uh, discounts to fly or, or get into amusement park cheaper, movies, things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. College students might get a special discount. Nonprofits, you know, coupons. These are all examples of ways to specifically identify, uh, basically, a, a price sensitive segment and charge mm-hmm. them a lower price. Basically, is what right, you're doing right. here. Yeah, they, and the great example is the blue plates special, right? I mean, you you had specifically mentioned that as seniors saying, right. "Hey, listen, if you if you if you come and eat it, which I love to do by the way, you know, come and eat at four o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> you, you don't have to say you're old; you just you get the better price." I just it's just uh, I don't know why I thought of this, but the Seinfeld episode. Did you ever see the one where he goes out with his parents in Florida? Yeah, they yeah, all, yeah, yeah. They want to go at yeah. four because I'm not eating at four o'clock, and they end up going yeah. at like seven, and the, all the old guys are coming out going, "Oh, well, look at the money bag." They're Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, buyer identification, and that works on the high side too. Like, I guess an American Express, um, you know, invitation to get their black card would be mm-hmm. obviously specific identification, right? Yeah. Um, this is what's going on with loyalty programs, right? They're they're 
better able to specifically identify you as a platinum customer or whatever, and then you get special privileges or, or whatever. So specific buyer identification is, is, a, is a great strategy that you can use. Um, the other one is purchase location. And this is really interesting because, um, you know, some, even some professionals like doctors and opticians, they may have a practice in, I don't know, Beverly Hills, but then they might have a practice across town, maybe in a poor neighborhood that charges a totally different scale of prices because it serves a more price sensitive segment of the market. Yeah. And this so, is the one that people really don't like, right? Well, they, uh, well yeah. People kind of find out about it. This is the, this is the, well, who is the catalog? The Victoria's Secret catalog that had different prices, yes. at different zip codes. Yeah. Yes. And a- Amazon got hammered for this too, selling DVDs, I think it was, and some books at, to different zip codes at different prices. But, you know, this is, kind of goes back to our price discrimination show. I mean, there's incredible welfare benefits to society from price discrimination. I mean, without price discrimination, without these segmentation strategies, you wouldn't have children's prices. You wouldn't have senior prices. You wouldn't have coupons. You, w- you wouldn't have AIDS drugs in poor countries. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Um, so, but purchase location, just think about even a Starbucks. A Starbucks mm-hmm. in a financial district is going to have different prices than a Starbucks next to a college. I've actually... Yep. Noticed that deliberately, you know, looked at that and said, well, yeah, there's a 50, 60 cent difference in, in the coffee prices between these two locations. Now, you know, you could chalk that, well, there's higher rent, but I think what's really going on is they know they're dealing with a more price sensitive segment of the, of the market. Yeah, and I really don't think there's anything wrong with that. Again, you know, th- this gets into, look, as long as I know the price up front and can, and can make a decision, wh- why, does it, why does it matter? Exactly. And again, it's because we walk around just like we do with brands with an acceptable range of prices, just like we, like Rory Sutherland pointed out, we walk around with an acceptable uh, portfolio of brands, mm-hmm. right? We don't feel the need to rank them or anything like that. And it's the same with pricing. So that's why some of these segmentation strategies are so powerful. But folks, we, we've gotten for the through the first two, we, we've got five more to go, but we, uh, we're up against a break here, so we need to do that. And again, if you'd like to uh, email Ed or myself, you can do so at AskTSOE. And Bryce, we are going to deal with your question, we promise. I've uh, got some, uh, hopefully some good stuff for you on that. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Azamba. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. What if you could close more business with less effort and do it faster? What could your people accomplish if they had their own personal assistant keeping track of meetings and reminding them of follow-ups? What would it mean to have a perfect view of what your team and your prospects and your customers are doing? What if you could run your business from anywhere? You can have it all. Visit www.azamba.com forward slash soul today to find out how. That's azamba, A-Z-A-M-B-A dot com forward slash soul. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? 
I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the foreword changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its foreword. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the foreword and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we will be dealing with some of your questions from hashtag AskTSOE, BJ out there. And I just want to quick give a quick shout, shout out to Kim uh, Kim Tuitive at Kim Tuitive. Thank you so much for your your post last week and uh, uh, for being a big fan of the show. And we we, we really do appreciate that. So so th- thanks so much. Uh, but we'll get to BJ's question, Justin's question, and uh, in just a little bit. But I want to come come back here and just finish up on these customer segmentation strategies. We left off with purchase location, and you had given the example of the the idea of, of a uh, um, you know the the. Starbucks, and I want to just right. say, you know, the same thing is also true is is like Coca Cola or beer, right? You will you will pay dramatically different for for a glass of beer, or you know, in different places, and not give a, a second thought to it. Now, yes, when you're at the ball game, you may complain about the eight dollar beer, and then you right. go and get three. Right. So, <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's movie theater popcorn, right? <laughs> you complain about it, but you buy it. <laughs> buy it anyway. Buy it anyway. So. So All right. Per- and the next one up is time of purchase, right, Ron? So wh- when did when did you, or it's not even necessarily time of purchase, but when are you going to attend? Like matinees, for example. Okay, exactly. so you get the, so you, if you want if you want to go to that first show, which I like to do yeah. on, uh, occasionally, we go up on you know Saturday or Sunday morning, and uh, the, the, we will be to, to, you know get that that first that first uh, cut at the movie, and you know there's less people there, and it's it, we don't have to deal with the crowds and all that stuff, um, and I'm also less likely to have to buy popcorn because it's it's ten o'clock in the morning, <laughs> so right, right, and even on some days of the week, right, it's a lot cheaper even all day yeah. if they have like special Tuesdays or something i mean just when yeah, broadway has been famous for wednesday brought matt yeah, bro, okay days yep. yep is yep. that they always always have that as their their a show and, and an option there um but you know i, I think that that those are those are as to when it happens too and well they, they don't do this much anymore but uh peak and off peak purchases for cell phones but you know where that's been coming up now is toll roads is sure it, it gets Absolutely. big, right? So wh- whether or not you use it during the busiest time of year, and I think those are perfectly acceptable examples of price changes uh, that even, ready, Ron, that governments can do. Right, exactly. exactly. Yeah, of course, when governments do it, Ed, it's really good. But when Uber does surge pricing, it's terrible. I know we've mentioned yeah. that before. But <laughs> uh, you, you know, my favorite example of this time of purchase, if you think about it, if you, you, know, if you like Chinese food or, or, or even Thai food, you go to a, a Thai restaurant in the middle of the day and have lunch. Uh, it's one price. But if you come back and order off the dinner menu, it's the same food for the most part. And the portions might be a little bit different, but the price is radically different. 
because they know lunch, you know, is more price sensitive. You have uh, you have limited time. Dinner, more casual. You can take your time and, and you're less price sensitive. Maybe you're out for a special occasion or something. So time of purchase is still really important, even in a 24-7, 365 internet age. And, and this is true with purchase location, too. You would think that would be diminished because, of, you know, we can all buy off the internet. Well, and I just want to add, add one more to this too, Ron, and they, because this is this is huge now. Is the is sports teams? Oh, yeah, right? yes, absolutely. They they have done a fantastic job with this. I mean, and this was something that they that you know twenty years ago they didn't do. And I, but I believe, believe it was the San Francisco Giants that were the first to begin to experiment with this. And and man, is it now? It's it's absolutely rampant. You know, I, they they haven't quite gotten to the changing the price based on uh, who the pitching matchups are. They mm. they do this well in advance now, but they mm. do do it based on okay, th- these these teams were really good last year, so you they're in the gold package or right. the gold dates, and this was a lousy team or a team that we're not so interested in seeing, or maybe a, you know have somebody from across the country from the other league during interleague play. Um, we really don't care about them. So you, if you want to go see them on a Tuesday night, it's really cheap. Well, Ed, I've often thought, why why don't movies do, why don't studios do this with movies? I mean, if you're going to see uh, Star Wars or, you know, a picture, mm-hmm. why doesn't that cost you 20 bucks? Right. You know, why, why do all movies, whether they're crappy or fantastic, cost the same? It doesn't, to a pricer, that, that's an anomaly. Yeah, agreed, agreed. But anyway, so that's time of purchase. And then, of course, the, the fourth one is purchase quantity. And, and this uh, certainly, this actually applies to B2B too, but probably more you see it in B2C. But, you know, uh, the, the idea here is that the more you buy, the, the cheaper per unit it's going to be, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, if Walmart buys a train load of Pampers as opposed to a truck load, they're probably going to pay less per box. Uh, mm-hmm. Just because they're going to get some type of quantity discount, maybe it's a step discount or based on order size or dollar volume or whatever. Um, but you also see this, um, you know, you can see this at nightclubs, right? They they charge a cover at the door, but then they charge you for food and drinks when you get in. It, economists call this two part prices or two part tariffs, but mm-hmm. it's it's kind of that that type of idea. So purchase quantity can make a difference as well. Well, I, and I like to refer to that, by the way, not as a, di- a volume discount, but a preferred price. Uh, right, preferred price. Yes, yes. Shouldn't use the word discount. Uh, the fifth one is product design, and, and this is where you offer different versions. And, of course, Apple's a master at this. Oh, right? yeah. Uh, you know, there are different uh, iPads and, and the, the different uh, phones that they have, like the 6 Plus. E- even coming up, I've often thought, you know, the 6 Plus that, I, I don't know how it sells relative to the others, but it, it, it it's almost psychological framing that just says, well, geez, I don't need something that big. Holy cow. And it just kind of nudges you into the, the 6, right? Or whatever they call it, 6S, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, and that's interesting. But of course, you're an example of the other thing. You're thinking about getting the big, big iPad, aren't you, Ron? The Pro. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I'm actually <laughs> going to wait uh, until November when it's supposed to. Oh, I want to at least look at it. Yeah, I want to at least look at it before I buy one. But uh, yeah, um, yeah. But How do you thing- feel knowing that you're already victim to this this product oh. design thing? Do you? <laughs> Uh, no, I'm completely get- – look, I've been a victim of Apple since 84, so, you know, I've got a long history of abuse and yeah. I've stayed in the relationship. So, um, <laughs> I just hope the car's good. That's all I can say. Yeah, because uh, you're on record, so. 
But you know, the, one of the most interesting aspects of this product design strategy is, is look what GM did. And I'm talking about back in the Halcyon days when, you know, they were practically half the car market. But, you know, they were pretty smart. They had, a, a, like they said, a car for every uh, purse and pocketbook, right? Um, they moved through your life cycle. You started out with a Chevy. Maybe you went to a Pontiac and a Buick and then an Olds and then a Cadillac, you know? Yeah. And and so that's kind of, uh, but when you look at the those cars, Ed, you, you notice that mm, they're built in the same factory. They use a lot of the same parts. <laughs> so the cost differences weren't anywhere near the percentage of the price differences between those different versions. Yep. Well, and I think it's still true today. I mean, if you if you look at the, the, the let's call it the high-end Honda versus the low-end Acura, Yes, uh, in, in of many models, they're they're like almost identical. Yes, absolutely. A, a, uh, I'm on my second Acura, and I've had Hondas too. I love them both, but and and I gotta believe that even the parts are the same. But you know, you're going to pay more for an Acura part, just like you're going to pay more for a Cadillac part, um, you know, than the Knowles or whatever. So, uh, to to the extent that you can design your products or, or uh, put out different versions of them. And, and you see this even with, uh, you know, things like shampoo or cereal. You know, you might get certain sizes only at Walmart, say, versus at Target. There might be different sizes or different versions, right? That's one of the ways that they're segmenting different customers and probably charging the Target customers a little bit more than the Walmart customers. Yep, yep. Well, great strategies all. Oh. <clears throat> yep. So, and the sixth one is product bundling, right? So, and and we're big believers in bundling. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, a dinner menu, if they offer you a dinner, uh, you know, four course, five course, whatever. And of course, they even do wine pairings with it now. This is a great way to search uh, how price sensitive somebody is because, you know, if you're out for a special occasion, yeah, you're going to go for the six course dinner and you're going to pair it with the wines whereas the more price sensitive customer might just order a la carte and so that's a that's a fantastic strategy yes and i'm going to make a a point about this one because i and i probably have talked about it on previous shows but it's it's still i think critically important and this is where a lot of i i see businesses get this wrong when they do bundling is is, is that they then go and they will they'll do the bundle but then they'll also make the mistake of giving you a breakdown of the bundle. Right, right. right. Do not do this, my do, friends. Do yes. not do this. Once once you put a bundle together, do do not in, independently unbundle it. And if if you're asked to unbundle it, my my favorite response to that is to say, "Well, yes, I could, but it would be more." Right. <laughs> right, and you know the great example is a so- is the software example from years ago when Microsoft had a, you know the Office bundle, right? You could you could buy Microsoft Office for I don't you know I'm just making up the price here five hundred bucks and you get the Office suite, but if you wanted each of those products individually, they were like you know three hundred dollars each. Yeah, exactly. Right. So so if you added them all up together, you were you were getting this deal. So instead of you know. Twelve hundred bucks for the four of them. It, it was five hundred for all four, right? <laughs> yep. And you know, you know, of course, this works best for products like that where where you know your 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 cost is insignificant um, in, in in actual production. But 
you know, I, I th- it's so important because I see so many pricers make the, this mistake, and I, I'm always on the lookout for it when I'm out shopping too. That people will they'll bundle, but then they'll give you a breakdown of the bundle, and it's 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 just mm-hmm. awful. Yeah, I even remember Ed looking at the Porsche. Um, their website, or or maybe it was Edmonds or wherever, where you, you know you're interested in buying a Porsche, and Porsche, unlike a lot of other car companies, has this incredible array of options. I mean, pages and pages, and mm-hmm. and as you add them, you know, it's 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 adding each line item of option. I'm thinking this is just overwhelming. I would think it would be much better just to have maybe two or three different types of options, you know, full-blown everything, you know, a middle choice and a stripped-down model of each Porsche rather than, you know, build and customize it yourself. I, I just, I, I don't know, maybe maybe at that level, people are fanatical and they want exactly what they want, but it, se- it seemed to me to be overwhelming and giving people too many choices, and it was too cumbersome. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Completely agree with that. But we're up against our last break already. We're going to have to deal with the last one after after the break, and then we'll deal with everyone's questions. So that's Excellent. that's the that's that that that's the plan. But we do want to remind you to visit thesoulofenterprise.com and certainly the iTunes reviews and Amazon reviews. Absolutely love them. So please, if you could do that for us in the next next week or so. We would sure appreciate it. But right now, we want to hear from my regular two-week, every two-week paycheck, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Four new employees, a 20% increase in revenue, being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit BelieveInYourNumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here doing How to Be a Price Searcher, Not a Price Taker. We've been talking about the seven customer segmentation strategies, and we left off on product bundling. Last one, Ed, is tie-ins 
and meterings. And this is class. There's classic examples here. So yeah. a little bit dated, but one of my favorite was always the, um, the punch cards that IBM sold uh, and, and, you know, the computers right back when there was punch cards. And this was a classic price discrimination example because obviously people that buy more punch cards are using the computer more and it's more valuable to them. So it's mm-hmm. a way to keep the price of the computer low enough for the people who just have minimal computational needs and then charge a heavier price to the heavy users. And it's the same with toner cartridges and, and laser uh, printers, isn't it? Uh, yep. And that, that's, a, that's a big one right now. I mean, in, in a lot of cases, you know, I've heard people say this to me, well, I, I just buy new printers. Right. <laughs> Every time. Yes, it's just yes. It's, it's just cheaper to buy new printers. So, you know, yes, I just buy new the cartridge. And then- <laughs> There's half the price right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, some of them are ridiculous, and, and look, that's something they get rated on too. Is that you have to say, well, you know, how big are the ink cartridges? Because some of the the cheapest printers have the smallest cartridges, so you have to you do have to be on the lookout for that. But I mean, the, and th- this started with with razors and razor blades, right? I mean, it was it, it, that's one of King them, Gillette, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah, absolute classic one, which is still true today. You know, the handle costs you is free, but you know, rack those blades up. Right. And there's a lot of antitrust around this issue. But folks, those are the seven segmentation strategies and they are and they work really well if you're if you're selling to lots of customers or even if you're selling through a channel. There's different ways to segment those customers and charge them different prices and it's the next best thing to pricing the customer. Um, so Ed, I know and, and we will post these fully on the on the show notes with examples and all of that. But Ed, you've got some questions that we got on Twitter. Uh, I know one's from BJ, isn't it? Yep, from our friend uh, BJ, who's d- been doing some great work on his uh, vo- vocal coaching. Uh, absolutely fascinating. And we had a a, 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 a chat earlier. I think it was it was today or no yesterday. And he's originally from this the same area I'm from, so we're able ah, okay. to to bond on that. Yeah. Um, but so the deal is, he wants to know about charging half up front and then half on completion. Um, and it, you know, is the is the value any different than if you if you uh, have charged for something straight all, all up front? So, what are all your up thoughts up. on that, Ron? Well, you know, I, I, payment terms are one way you can come up with different options, right? So, the cheaper option should come with full price paid up front, maybe prepaid, like they do with hotels. When you get the best rate, you have to prepay it, and it's non cancelable, right? Whereas if they buy the middle or the top, maybe maybe you do give them, you know half up front, half when done, something like that, some type of payment terms. Because I think the important point here is he's got to remember that payment terms are pricing. Uh, you, you know, payment terms are pricing, period. Yep. Pricers have to deal with payment terms. So it's really important. And you can experiment with this and, and use it to, uh, to create your different options and different versions of your offerings. Yeah, and and it's a it's a great one to do because it really is very easy to think to think through, you know. The, and and of of course, I think the the big thing is don't don't back your way into it. Don't give don't give the the quote discount for better prices. Come up with it with, with the price and then charge more for the payment terms. And right. I, I think that that's one quick way to really increase your your from from a from a profitability standpoint is to think about it that way, right? So it's it, it increase for the use of the payment terms. And this is what what's the example you always use on uh, uh, mortgages, right? Fixed versus yes. variable rate. Right. So. Or leasing, right? Leasing yep. a car versus buy. Yep. So, Ed, the, the interesting question we got was from Bryce, who I believe is a practicing CPA. And Bryce, you said that you've got many HVAC and plumbing companies as, as customers. And most of them do not do 
hourly pricing or billing. Instead, they, they charge a, a diagnostic fee to come out, assess your problem, and then they give the customer a, a flat price for fixing that problem that the customer has to agree to upfront and sign off on. Um, but what his question is, Ed, is there's questions about fairness that, mm. that, that, that come up. And what's happening, and I think he gave us a copy of a Yelp review or maybe Angie's List, and it was a customer who's really upset with this one, I guess it was a plumber, who came out and it only took him two and a half hours to do a job. And the customer went online, looked up the parts he used, found out the parts cost 35 bucks. So he was able to compute that that was 600 bucks an hour in labor. Right. And he thought that that was a ripoff. And he gave mm-hmm. him a one-star review, and he just really raked him over the coals. And so Bryce's questions are, what are your thoughts on this? How would you go about responding to these complaints? How would you educate the customer ahead of time to avoid these complaints? And would you change how these companies are pricing? No, I wouldn't change so much how they're pricing. I would change how they set the expectation. And Hat tip to our colleague, Dan Morris, who sent me to a website, and Bryce, we will publish this, Waters Plumbing. It's uh, in, in, in where Dan owns his mountain home, and they have a page on their website called Flat Rate Pricing. And Ed, I know I sent this to you, you probably read this too, but they say right up front, no matter how long it takes, the price will be what you were told up front, the job will be done with quality and concern to completion. And they say a little bit later on, a big problem with time and materials billing is that there are some technicians who work fast and some who work slow. You should not be penalized because the luck of the draw won you a technician who works slow. And so they're kind of setting up the expectation. But my other thought on this, Ed, and I wanted to get your take on this, you know, there's all sorts of apocryphal stories about Picasso, you know, drawing the sketch in a minute and telling the right. lady it's a thousand bucks. But let me give you an apocryphal story, Bryce, that might help here. Uh, I think this is apocryphal, but it still illustrates the point really well. A guy's got a Cadillac. It's got a major problem. He's taken it to 14 dealers. None of them can fix it. The last dealer tells him, look, there's probably only one guy in the world who can fix this. He was a mechanic here for 40 years. He knows everything about Cadillacs. The guy drives out to his house. And the, the, you know, the old mechanic goes out there, looks at his Cadillac, tinkers around for 10 minutes, and fixes the problem. And, and the, the owner's like, oh, my God, I can't believe you fixed this. He, 14 different shops looked at this, and they couldn't do anything. And, and he said, what do I owe you? And the guy said, I don't know, 750 bucks. And he said, that's outrageous. It only took you 15 minutes. He said, well, he said, okay. He said, call your wife. Tell her you need a ride. Your car will be ready next week. Yeah. <laughs> So how about, Bryce, if after they come out and do the diagnostic, they give the customer options. We'll fix it now at this price or we'll fix it in two days or one day or a week, depending on, you know, what state of an emergency is at X minus Y price. And maybe you give them two different options uh, on top of fixing it here and now, or I'll fix it in a day, or I'll fix it in five days, or whatever. And mm-hmm. as, as, as they have to wait longer, the price goes down. I don't think people will have a problem with that. I agree. I think that's a, that's a great strategy, Ron. I would. It was certainly worth experimenting with, without question. You know, the only other thing that I would, as you were talking, that I I could think that you may offer, and and this is this is probably a little bit more controversial than what, what Ron is saying is offer them the, uh, the, the, the value guarantee, right? Absolutely. absolutely. I want to say that too. Yep. And just, and just say, Hey, listen, do you pay what you think? That's if you think that was too much, no problem. Pay what you think it's worth. And I'll, and and I'll, I'll write, you know, and if, if this was after the fact, I'll write you a check for the difference. I'll write it back to you. Now 
I may not ever take your freaking phone call again. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. I, you and know, good luck. But I, I think you know, this, if that's where you want to go. Oh. I, you know, we have lots more to say on this probably, Bryce, but I think here's the, here's the bottom line here. We have to re-educate the customer that there's no correlation between labor and time. And, and this is part of our problem. The plumbers did this, too, with their customers. And just like the airlines have re-educated us and the cellular companies have re-educated us from minutes to, to download, right, um, we need to re-educate the marketplace. So I would hammer the point that the customer is interested in the baby and not the labor pains and there's no correlation. And I think what this uh, Waters Plumbing Company did on their website is at least a good start. At least it tells you their philosophy. Like, hey, you're going to pay a price. We quote you. It's going to be done. We're going to have a guarantee on it. But you know what? If we're there 15 minutes or 10 hours, it's not going to matter. You're going to pay what we quoted you. And I think the pro- another part of the problem is the customer's watching this. Whereas when you get your taxes done or your lawyer or your mechanic, you're not, you're not, you can't sit there with a clock over them because you're usually somewhere else, right, as they do the work. So there's more of a black box effect. Right. No, yeah, that, that, that is, is the key challenge. But you're right, Ron. It's, it's, a, it's a question of re-education. Yep, it really is. So, Bryce, I hope that helps. But, uh, Ed, so what do we have next week? You mentioned it already, but let's mention it one more time. Yes, no, absolutely. And this is going to be a fun show. That we're talking about the death of cost accounting. The death <laughs> of cost accounting. We're going to kill it. We're going to bury it just before yes. Halloween. A little bit, you know, we're, we're, we're going to drive we're a nail into it. Drive a nail, another nail into the cost. I'll come, up with, I'll come up with its last words. <laughs> 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 I Excellent. Love it. Well, Ed, I, I look forward to that. I'll see you in 167 hours. Sounds good. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business, and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. We'll be doing the Death of Cost Accounting. In the meantime, please visit us at thesoulofenterprise.com for more information on the show, our books, and show notes. And please feel free to contact Ed or myself at TSOE at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week.